for it, Lord. Your people are filled with joy at the thought of your return. We're so grateful, Lord Jesus, at your first coming. You're you're choosing to leave the glory of heaven to come here, take on flesh, so that we might have life in you. And we come celebrating that this day, God, celebrating that you are with us. Though we're not gathered together physically with one another, you are with us. And we praise your name for that. And we give you thanks that we are not, nor will we ever be alone when we're in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your first coming. Thanking you for your promised return. We come this day bringing our lives, our hearts, our minds, ourselves to you. We choose again this day to sit ourselves before your word and let it speak to us, let it judge us, let it direct us, let it correct us. So I ask you as we open your word today that you would illuminate our minds, that you would let us hear from you deep in our souls. So we pray, Lord Jesus, again that you would speak. I pray that you would hide me behind Calvary's cross. I pray that the words that come from my mouth will glorify you in every way. And I pray that those receiving your word will be, God, encouraged, strengthened, motivated, challenged to seek and follow you. Father, I pray for those in our River family who are facing just incredible sorrow in this season right now, in this season of their lives. I pray, God, that your hand would be on them. I think of several in our family who have recently lost loved ones. I pray your peace, Jesus, over them. I pray for those in our River family who are battling this virus right now and in quarantine and isolated. I pray that they would find their strength in you, their encouragement in you, their joy in you. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that uh, we, we would just experience your presence now powerfully in the time that we have together. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. I um, am grateful to be with you this morning. Um, If no one else has wished you a happy third day of Christmas, let me be one of the first to do that. Happy third day of Christmas, everyone. I am uh, glad you decided to to join with us. I want to just say that um, our Christmas Eve services were, were just great. I think those, uh, some still gathered in this room, but so many that worked so hard to, uh, to make our Christmas Eve service uh, happen. And so uh, just want to tell you thank you again for that, um, just all the work that went into those and the blessing that it, it was to my life and, uh, and for so many. Um, I hope uh, that you have had an opportunity to, to join in that if you weren't able to be here in person. During our Christmas Eve service, we always annually... Um, collect a special offering. And this year our elders felt compelled to direct that special offering to relief efforts for our brothers and sisters, partners in ministry in Ecuador. And we, uh, we're still collecting that offering. It's going to go uh, primarily to meet two needs. One is food, uh, food needs in their church and then in their community. And the other is um, some technology, some equipment to enable them to uh, enjoy uh, putting out live streaming their services to take the gospel into their communities through uh, things like YouTube and so that the gospel will have a connection uh, even post-COVID. So I, I pray that you will give generously uh, to that Christmas Eve offering. As I said, we'll still be collecting that for a few more weeks 
and, uh, and it's not too late to get in any end-of-the-year offering. I want to thank those of you who so faithfully and generously support the work uh, of River Bluff Church. Now, though we're all virtual today, I'm hoping that we can be a little interactive. Uh, so maybe, I know at least once, maybe a couple of times in the message, I'll, I'll ask a question, and it won't just be rhetorical. I would encourage you, uh, maybe share your answer with those uh, in the room with you, if you're gathered with others there in your home. Um, but also, uh, you can, using your, your mobile device, you can actually, because I'm doing it right now, I'm, well, I turned it off, I'm watching our service online, you can actually live chat. And I would encourage you to, uh, to participate that way by, by live chatting. Uh, best way to do this, if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, do that so it will identify who you are um, and your comments. And we would appreciate that. I'm going to ask a couple of questions uh, throughout the service. And I thought it would be fun if uh, we could see each other's responses to that. And uh, we'll, we'll just have a little bit of fun with that. Now, I would encourage you to try to respond, you know, pretty quickly as you can. And it's also, I, I would encourage you, if there are others gathered in the room with you, uh, record their responses and say something like, John says this answer and Mary says this answer. But just as a way to be a bit more interactive. Well, here's, here's the first question that I would love for us to join and participate in together. And the first question is just simply this. What is your favorite Christmas movie? What's your favorite Christmas movie? What do you think probably is the, just the best Christmas movie of all times? Now, I'm going to remove from the, the running anything related to the true story of Christmas. So, um, I, I, we'll call it the secular venue, if you would. What is your favorite Christmas movie? Take a moment and tell those gathered with you, and, and then just, uh, just live chat that answer uh, onto it. Now, I have lots of Christmas, favorite Christmas movies. Um, some are, you know, better than others. Some have different meaning. But I would say, all in all, from my childhood, the greatest Christmas movie ever was the 1966 production of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I just, I love that animated classic. Now, nothing to, you know, diss on Jim Carrey, but it just didn't cut it for me. It just was not the same. It didn't overtake the 1966 classic. And so, um, I want to actually refer to uh, that, that story in, in a bit, because there's a parallel in the story of How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and one of the great prophetic New Testament passages of Scripture in Revelation chapter 12. And so if you got your Bibles and you want to turn there, we're going to be, that's going to be our anchor passage for today is Revelation chapter 12. And we'll, we'll jump in and out of it, but that's going to be our anchor passage for it today. Now, for those of you that may be unfamiliar with Dr. Seuss's great work, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, it's basically about this guy named the Grinch, and he hated Christmas. He hated everything about Christmas. He lived outside of a little town called Whoville, and he hated everybody in Whoville who loved Christmas, and of course, everybody in Whoville loved Christmas. And there's a line from the story that I want to I read to you um, about, about the Grinch and his concern related to Christmas. And so, can you get a shot of the, the great book there? Yeah, wonderful. Um, here's, what, here's what it said. I'm jumping kind of in the middle of the story. The more the Grinch thought about the who Christmas sing, because they would always gather around the tree in the center of town, and they would have this great Christmas sing. It says, and the more the Grinch thought about this who Christmas sing, the more the Grinch thought, I must stop this whole thing. Why, for 53 years, I've put up with it now. I must stop this Christmas from coming, but how? This was the Grinch's great dilemma. He wanted to put a stop 
to Christmas. That was his plan. His strategy was just to, to stop Christmas. So he planned this plan, and he decided he would dress up like Santa Claus, and he would uh, dress his little dog up like a reindeer, and he would invade Whoville, and he would go in every home and steal everything, steal all the presents, steal all the ornaments, the decorations, steal their Christmas trees, their stockings, steal even all the food that was being prepared and ready for Christmas. And he eventually did that and dragged all of uh, Hoosville Christmas paraphernalia up to his lair that overlooked the town of Hooville, and he waited because he just knew instead of that great Christmas sing, there was going to be a great Christmas groan, and he couldn't wait to hear that, that great Christmas groan. But of course, if you know anything about the story, he was wrong. He couldn't steal what was really in the hearts of people. At Christmas. Now, in the Bible, in God's story, God's great big story, that, by the way, is a, not a fiction like the Grinch is, but it is a fact, there is a Grinch who tries to steal Christmas. Now, immediately, because we're at Christmas time, your mind may have raced to King Herod. You know, he tried to steal Christmas because he had this fiendish plan that he was going to kill this newborn king. And the only way he could figure out to do it was to kill all the babies in Bethlehem, two years or, or younger. But here's the deal. Herod was actually only a pawn in a much bigger story. See, behind the scenes is the ultimate Grinch. And he's the director, he's the producer uh, of all the other Grinches. The Bible identifies him as Satan or, or the devil. And in Revelation chapter 12, he's called the great red dragon. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Revelation chapter 12. And we're going to read verses 1 through 5 together. God's word says this. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns on his heads, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when uh, she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. This is the word of the Lord. Now, let me jump back for just a second into the, the Dr. Seuss story. As the Grinch takes all the goods of Whoville, he looks down, he's waiting on that, that moment of the groaning to come. And as people wake up, you know, they realize things were, were stolen. But instead of a groaning, Dr. Seuss tells the story this way, because they, they sang. The Grinch puzzled and he puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he'd never thought of before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. And if you know the story, the Grinch goes on and learns that Christmas is something that happens deep in the heart. It cannot be stolen by anyone. Well, the real Christmas story, the big story, God's story has this dragon, the devil, in it. And he planned to attack the very one who would promise to bring eternal life. And so the dragon, the enemy, puzzled and he puzzled till his puzzler was sore. And because he discovered the very one he was attacking was the one who would rule the earth. Now, in Revelation chapter 12, I know many would think, this is a really strange place to finish out a Christmas uh, series. We've been in this Christmas series entitled His Coming all the month of, of uh, December. And each week we looked at 
Jesus' coming and what his coming, what the coming of Jesus would bring to each of us. And over the first four weeks, we saw that his coming would bring us hope, his coming would bring us peace, his coming would bring us joy, his coming would bring us love. Uh, Then in our Christmas Eve services, we looked at how his coming brought us good tidings of God's great nose. And you'll, you, you can go watch that if, if that's a little bit confusing. But it was, uh, God, God gave us some great promises in the book of, of Romans chapter 8. Um, some things that we don't have to live with anymore. Now this morning, I want you to see how Jesus coming at Christmas did something else. How his coming raised Satan's rage. Because it did. Now, Dr. Seuss's story was eventually made into this, you know, this... Uh, 1966 kind of animated version and then Hollywood went on to make some other blockbusters of uh, Dr. Seuss's story but again what's happening in Revelation chapter 12 is an even greater epic story it's a story that actually spans all uh, uh, of human history and unlike how the Grinch stole Christmas it is it is a, a fact, not a fiction. It's, I, I like to think of it as a great documentary drama that's being played out and being played out in our lifetime right now. And so if you will enter this great story, this great epic story of God, one of the first things you'll do is you'll start to see this major cast of characters. Um, you'll see a, a, a maniacal plot that one of the characters has. You'll see the central villain, but you'll also see God's great ho- heroic plan. So I want to I start by looking at the kind of the lead characters. They're named here in the book of Revelation, chapter 12. First of all, there's a woman. And there's this woman that uh, is, is uh, pregnant with a child that she bears. And there's a dragon who's preparing to attack the child. And then there is this child. And those are the main characters that are playing out, that are central to this epic story that uh, the Apostle John is recording in the vision that God gave him for the book of Revelation. And he calls these characters, he says, they are great signs. Now, the word in Greek, they're great, is is mega. So we, we have this kind of mega woman, and we have this mega dragon, and we have this mega child. And what that, that word means is each of them have far-reaching implications. Now, there's a sign. When you see anything that in the book of Revelation that says this is a sign, it, it simply means it's a symbol that's pointing to something else. Somewhat like how Dr. Dr. Seuss with, with his Grinch was pointing out uh, in that story how there were people that were trying to really steal the meaning of Christmas and joy from the hearts of, of children in the world. And uh, so John is pointing out these great signs that are happening, and they have just incredible significance. So the, the first one that he wants you to see is this woman that's about to give birth. And again, because it's the Christmas season, I know we run to thinking, okay, this, is, this has got to be Mary who would give birth to Jesus. But really, I believe that Revelation chapter 12 is speaking about something further back. I think it includes Mary, but I think it's talking about the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel. And then you say, Joe, why, why do you think that? Well, because frequently in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is referred to as a woman and oftentimes referred to as, as God's wife. And I want you to see kind of really where, where this comes from for me. When, when the first Christians would have heard uh, John's revelation and they would have gotten to, to chapter 12 and they would have heard uh, about this, this sign of this woman with the sun and the moon and the 12 stars, their minds immediately would have jumped back to Genesis chapter 37. And in Genesis chapter 37, one of Jacob's sons named Joseph boastfully told his brothers and his mom and dad about this incredible dream that he had. And so in Genesis chapter 37, basically, I'm going to paraphrase it. It's going to come up on your, on your, on your screen there, but I'm going to paraphrase it. He basically said, hey, guys. I had this incredible dream last night, and in my dream, the sun and moon and 11 stars, they all bowed down to me. Now, his dad, Jacob, knew what he was talking about, and he kind of rebuked Joseph, and he said, what, what's up, man? You, you think your mom and me and your brothers are all going to just kind of bow down to you? And see, in that account, here's what Jacob is doing. Jacob is identifying 
the sun, the moon, and the stars as his family, which we know was the, the beginning, really, of the, the nation of Israel. And so here we have in Revelation chapter 12 a picture of the nation of Israel and giving birth to the most significant child in history in the future. The Messiah, the promised one, would come through this nation. So that's kind of what this woman is a symbol of, a sign of, um, in what John sees. And now, because God's covenant promise uh, goes all the way back to Abraham uh, in, in Genesis chapter 12, we should expect that any passage of Scripture that we see that's part of God's plan to save humanity, that... Uh, Israel would be central to it because God had promised Abraham that his, his offspring, it was through his offspring, that the world would find its redeemer. And so Israel has always been central to the bigger story of God's redemptive plan. You might recall that when the angel came to Joseph, who now, not Jacob's son Joseph, but Joseph, Jesus' uh, earthly adopted father, uh, when the angel came to him in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel told him, you shall call the baby's name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. See, this was, this was part of God's unfolding great story, the great narrative. Now, remember that it, it says it would save his people from his sins. His people are first and foremost the Jewish nation, and then the rest of us. He will save his people from their sins. Now, this turns our attention to the next character in this unfolding drama in, in Revelation chapter 12. And it's after the woman, John sees a child that is about to be born. And in verse 5, we have a description uh, of this child. Uh, if you have your Bibles open, you may want to look there. It says, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Now, in that verse, we have uh, several uh, beautiful, uh, deep, rich theological truths of, of Jesus' life unfolding. First, we see the incarnation. He, he was born, his, his birth. Then we see the ascension. He's caught up to God. And then we actually have his coronation as king of kings and lord of lords when it says he, he is caught up also to his throne. And it says from there he will rule the nations. And we know that Jesus is coming back to do that. So, so here is a child being born uh, to, that will one day rule the nations of the world. Interestingly, that is a prophecy that the prophet Isaiah had stated 700 years before the birth of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah spoke these words, wrote these words. He says, For to us a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his governance and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And that's what, uh, that's what happened at the birth of of Jesus. Now, this, this prediction was given by the prophet Isaiah of a child who would one day rule the world, the whole earth. And Jesus is coming to do that. So, so far, our central characters are this woman representing Israel and a child that would come forth from this nation to be ruler of all the world, the Messiah. And then there is this third character in this story it's the dragon. And it says he's awaiting the birth of this woman's child. And in Revelation chapter 12, verse 4, it says, And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that he, that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Friends, this is the, the ultimate Grinch. I mean, he's, he's just the ultimate Grinch. Now, why would the dragon, Satan, want to destroy this baby as soon as it was born? Well, it's It's simple. Because the devil hates God. The devil hates Jesus. He hates all of God's people. He hates everything that God loves and everyone who loves God. And so he certainly hates Christmas. And again, to kind of borrow from Dr. Seuss, you could say that the more Satan thought of what Christmas would bring, the more Satan thought, I must stop the whole thing. And that really is what verse 4 of Revelation chapter 12 is about, about Satan 
the one whom Revelations 12 tells us fell from heaven, and when he fell, he took a third of the stars of heaven. And uh, theologians, and I believe that uh, that represents angels who rebelled with him against God. And in Revelation chapter 12, 3, we read this. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. Now, he's called the dragon, I believe, because it, it describes his personality. I don't know what your image of, of dragons are. Some people, it might be Puff the Magic Dragon from that old song, you know, and he lived by the sea. But this dragon is not that kind of dragon. This is a dragon who is fierce. This is a dragon, uh, I, I believe it's describing his personality that's just pure evil because he's representative of Satan in Revelation 12. And it describes that he has seven heads, and I believe that's referring to his incredible intelligence. Uh, Satan has a very high IQ. It's off the charts. That's why he's able to trick us with temptation. He's, he's able to deceive us. Scripture says that he has horns and diadems, which I believe represent crowns and indicating his ability to have authority moving in and out of our world, tempting people. Now, this gives us insight to why you and I get so hassled sometimes when we really start trying to worship and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that normally happens this time of year is we're moving into a new year. Many of us will begin making decisions. We're going to resolve that I'm going to engage in worshiping the Lord with greater, greater conviction, greater fervency. I'm going, to, I'm going to seek to serve the Lord in greater ways in the coming year. I, w- I want to be a part of what God's doing in our world. Well, the moment you make those kinds of decisions, you're going to get hassled. You're going to get distracted. Some, sometimes it seems like you're actually unable. Though you desire to, you, 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 you want to have this great passion for the Lord, but it keeps getting packed down. This is the dragon. This is this, this great enemy, the one that swept down the stars of heaven. Some of his, his uh, demonic angels, if you would, harassing you. See, Satan, again, hates everything God loves. So if you love God, he hates you, and he hates the worship of God. He hates what our our praise team leads us to do so powerfully every week. He hates that when God's name is worshiped and, and, and glorified and lifted up. He hates you when you gave your life to Christ, when you when you decide to pursue life in Jesus with greater fervency. I mean, don't think hell is gonna stand and give you an ovation. It's not, it's gonna come against you. So the major players that we have so far is this woman, this child, and the dragon. And this dragon has this incredible evil plot. It's an ancient, fiendish, kind of the master plan of the dragon to consume this child as soon as it was born. Why? Why why would that, that one thing be so important to the dragon? Well, because he knows that the promised child would bring his ultimate destruction. The prophecy of that took place all the way back in human history in the garden. Just after the fall of mankind. In Genesis chapter 3, it says this. And this is God speaking to the serpent in the garden of Eden. God God speaking to the devil. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. God speaking says this. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head. He will crush you, and you will strike his heel. Now, let me, let me ask you a question. And you can put you know, your, your answer to this on YouTube chat if you want to. If I were to tell you right now that right after this service ends, someone is going to knock on your door and when you open the door, they're going to come in and crush your head. What would you do? You know, what would somebody say, I'm not going to open the door, you know? What, what, see, if you believe for a second that I knew what I was talking about in that scenario, I believe most of you would do just about everything you could from getting, to keep from getting your skull crushed. So when God, the God of all creation, says to Satan... Someone's coming. 
There's going to be a child born to a woman, and one day he is going to crush you, ultimately crush you. Then I believe that Satan is doing everything he can to try to put an end to that happening. And so as we read through the Bible, which is really just the one big story of God, so often we think it's these little stories about people. It's not. It's the story of God. And we discover that human history is part of God's big story. But long before that first Christmas ever happened, Satan was trying to destroy the woman before the child could be born, trying to destroy Israel before the child of promise would come. If you go all the way back to Adam and Eve, who after being ejected from the garden, had a couple of children. Genesis chapter 4 tells us this. Cain and Abel. And we see Cain killing his brother Abel really over uh, worship, being jealous of, of Abel's worship. It was an attempt, I believe, to destroy the seed that would bring the promised one. If you continue just a couple of chapters forward in uh, God's big story in Genesis chapter 6 and 7, you'll see that Satan tries to deceive the whole earth, trying to lead it into great wickedness, such great unholiness that surely a holy God would have to, in judgment, come and destroy it all. Which we know from Genesis 6 and 7, God does, except for two of every living creature, and eight people from Noah's family that God saved on the ark. God will fulfill his promise in Genesis 3.15 through these eight people. Now later, historically, in, in the human narrative, as populations grew, there was another great attack by the dragon on God's people. We see it in Exodus chapter 1. Pharaoh, who is the ruler of, of Egypt, the most powerful nation at that time, had enslaved God's people of promise. And as God's people prosper, even under the harsh conditions of, of slavery, Pharaoh sets out a genocidal plan. He's going to kill all the, the male Hebrew children at their birth. So if you fast forward in God's big story, hundreds of years forward this time, we can see another time when God's people are being held in captivity, this time by the Babylonian and Persian kingdoms. And when we read in uh, the book of Esther, Esther chapter 3, we're introduced to this man named Haman. And Haman, Haman is the second most powerful man uh, in the kingdom of the Persians. He's uh, only under uh, the, the, the king, the ruler of the, the Persian empire. And Haman decides he wants to kill every Jew. In the empire, which was far-reaching, he wants to kill them all. He, want, he was attempting to destroy the nation. He was a little Grinch under the, the direction of, the, uh, of the, the ultimate Grinch. You know, and as we continue to follow this storyline throughout all of Scripture, we continue to see this cosmic battle, this invisible war that's going on. And it leads us all the way to the Christmas story. It's recorded you know, in Matthew. It's recorded in Luke. But in Matthew chapter 2, we read about King Herod. King Herod, who was also known as Herod the Great, he decides in Matthew chapter 2 that he's going to kill all the male-born babies in Bethlehem. But what happened? He was trying to get to Jesus, but Herod's wicked plan gets thwarted. God tells the wise men not to go back and report to Herod, and they don't. And then an angel comes to Joseph and tells him to, to take Mary and, and the baby Jesus into Egypt, which he does. And he protects them. And then he brings them back to Nazareth uh, years later to set up their home. But that's not the end of, of Satan's attempt to, to, to kill this one. Satan continues, even in Jesus' adult lifetime, not long after Jesus had begun his public ministry, Luke chapter 4, verses 29 and 30 record a moment in time when Jesus returns to his hometown of Nazareth uh, after beginning his public ministry, and he's back in Nazareth, and he's preaching. And the crowd doesn't like what he has to say, and they turn from a crowd to a mob because they're angry at his teaching, and they, they drive him out of the town, pushing him to the edge of a cliff, and the Bible tells us they desire to throw him off of it, but Jesus walked right through the midst of them, unharmed, untouched at this attempt to destroy him before his time. 
Now, if you go back to God's big story in Revelation chapter 12, we'll see here the glorious plan of God unfolding and being revealed. See, it's that from the nation of Israel, the Messiah did come. Chapter 12, verse 5 of Revelation says this, She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The Messiah came to rule the nations. But before he was caught up to God and his throne, uh, you know, all the attempts of the dragon had failed. Now, some of you were thinking, well, Joe, you, you forgot about that cross thing. Remember, if he was, gonna, if he was setting out to kill the promised Messiah, he, he did it. He had him crucified to death. The dragon succeeded at having him killed. And I believe Satan thought he had succeeded too, at least for several days. I believe that when the dragon saw Jesus nailed to that cruel cross, hanging there, bleeding to death, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think Satan thought he'd won a great victory, finally. I think Satan thought, I got him. I got him where I want him. I'm destroying his life. He will never crush me now. I'm crushing him. But Satan, Satan forgot to read the fine print. See, the fine print is found in Jesus' public declaration that John 10 captures for us. In John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus tells us this. He says, no one takes my life from me. No one. He says, I lay it down of my own authority. Because of that, I have the power to lay it down. I also have the power to take it up again. Yep, the resurrection was a shock, the shock of shocks for this dragon who had been trying to kill this, this male child that would come, trying to derail the glorious redemptive plan of God. But God had a better plan, a divine plan. God had a resurrection in mind. His plan was to crush the dragon's authority and power over the life of anybody who would trust Jesus, to destroy the great, greatest weapon that the dragon had, and that was death. See, resurrection gives us conquering power over death. The resurrection of Jesus gives us the power of new life. Jesus coming back from the dead enabled Jesus to offer everlasting life to everyone who would believe in him. And eventually, he will return to rule over all the earth. Satan's plan backfired. He was not able to stop the work of God's movement on the world. He was unable to stop the Messiah from being born. He was unable to, to stop the Messiah from completing and finishing his redemptive work. He was unable to stop Jesus from rising from the dead. He was unable to stop Jesus from being exalted in heaven. And he will be unable to stop Jesus from coming back and ruling and reigning with his people forever. So, What's that Grinch to do? What's that dragon, the ultimate Grinch to do? If all that work, if all that effort to stop the plan of God, to stop the prophecies from being fulfilled, if all of that failed, what does he do? Well, this is where it becomes personal now. This is where it, it hits us in the face. Being unable to stop the ultimate plan of God, Satan now turns his rage on the people of God and on humanity. See, his great desire now is to keep as many individuals from coming into a right relationship with God through Jesus. In that same passage, Revelation chapter 12 that we've been reading, just a few verses down, if you were to jump down to verse 12, you'd read this. But woe to you people of the world, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has a little time. Satan is enraged at not being able to thwart the plan of God. He knows his crushing day is coming. His doom is certain. But in the meantime, he wants to take down as many people as he can. 
using kind of Grinch language again, he wants to steal Christmas, the meaning of Christmas, the joy, the hope of Christmas from as many people's hearts as he possibly can. He wants to keep followers of Jesus Christ distracted, disinterested, divided, disengaged, and diminished in our strength. That's what he's wanting to do. Friends, that's why God's word implores us, those who follow Jesus in Ephesians chapter 6, to put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, that dragon. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the, comic, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, against that red dragon of Revelation chapter 12. River family. This is an area that we're going to address in a prominent way early in 2021. This coming year, we're going to begin rolling out a plan that we're calling the growth plan. It's a, it's a strategy, a plan. You're going to be hearing more about it in the coming months. But it's a plan to strengthen all of us so that we can better stand against the schemes of the devil. And so I'm going to ask you now to begin praying for the rollout of that plan and praying about how you will personally engage in that growth plan. Because, friends, Satan's rage is now directed at you, keeping any one of us from having the kind of relationship with God that God desires, that Jesus came to give us. Because he hates God, and he wants to keep God's people from being effective and, and experiencing all the blessing and grace that God has for us. That's his plot now. Because of his great wrath, he knows his time is short. He has this great anger. So Satan would love, this Grinch would love to steal Christmas from your hearts, to steal Christmas from the hearts of all men, women, boys and girls. But do you remember what happened in the, the story of the Grinch in the, the book or maybe the, the, the 1966 you know, animated version. What happened at the end was his heart changed. And see, just as in that story it was a heart problem, the same is true for us. Friends, th that's been the truth always. This, this is a matter of the heart. It's a heart issue. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the spring of life. This, this issue of whether God's going to have rule in your life or whether the enemy is going to just destroy you or distract you is a matter of the heart. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, God says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Not just saved for eternity, which you would, but saved from the, the power of sin now, the grip that it has on you now. You would be saved into new life in Christ, a powerful life. But you have to believe, and that belief is trust. You have to put your trust in God. And you have to do it from your heart, from the, the real you, from the core of who you are. There's saving power in this life and the life to come when you do. Friends, that's God's intention for you. That's God's plan for you. To give you the gift of everlasting life in the here and now. So that you could truly celebrate Christmas. Not just on one day out of the year and then having to wait until it comes next year. But Christmas, which is really declaring that God is with you. Is something that you can celebrate every day. Every moment of every day. God is with us. But that begins in your heart. And some people require a heart transplant to get it. You, you need God to take out an old heart of stone, as the Bible calls it, and put in you a soft heart, 
Make in you a soft heart. Ezekiel chapter 36 tells us that God wants to do this. It says, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove that heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, a heart that would be pliable, a heart that would be responsive to the touch of God, a heart that is touched by God. That's what God wants to do. He wants to give you the gift of everlasting life for sure, but God wants to change your heart. He wants to change your attitude. He wants to change your direction. He wants to change your perspective, your, your priorities. He wants to change your plans and bring them into his plans. Maybe heading in this new year, what you need to do is open your heart to God in a whole new way. Say, God, I invited you into my life years ago and I told you then Lord I want you to be the leader of my life somewhere along the way I took control back from you God today I want to give that control back I I want my heart completely fixed on on you God I don't want a stony heart I want a heart that is tender in your hand a heart that can be molded and shaped by you in your purposes and your ways that's what I want God God, I I see again, there's something bigger than just me. There's you. There's your story. God, I've been distracted, but I I see your big story again. And God, I want in on that story. I want to bring my little story in and submit it and surrender it to your, your big story, Lord. Friends, don't let the ultimate Grinch, the director, producer of all those little Grinches, the devil himself, don't let him steal away. The truth that Christmas is all about. That God, God has a better plan for you. Don't don't let the enemy of your soul steal that. I want to close our time together by reading you more of the story. Just excerpts of more of God's great story. Not, Not Dr. Seuss's story of the Grinch, but God's story of what will become of the ultimate Grinch and what God God has for you. So if you have your Bibles still open in the book of Revelation, this time jump from Revelation chapter 12. We're going to jump over to Revelation chapter 19 if you would head there. In Revelation chapter 19, I'm going to start reading in verse 11. And we read these words. God's word says this. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadem, many crowns, and he has the name that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. There's that rod of iron again. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty One. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Friends, that's a a picture of Jesus' return. This cosmic battle. Jump over to chapter 20, verse 1. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him. Jump down to verse 10. And the devil who had deceived was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. It's the end of the dragon. Over to chapter 21, verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear 
from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he said, and he who uh, was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, write this down for these, these words. Write these words for they are, they are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give the spring of water of life without payment. And then over in chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more, and there will be no need of lamp, of a light to lamp or the sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words, these words of this great story, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, and these are the words of Jesus, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Friends, there's a better story, a bigger story. It's the story of God. And you just, you heard or maybe you just read along and saw God's great narrative. God has a plan a plan of perfection in a relationship with him for you. And he's inviting you to step into that plan. Now, now some of you may be listening today and you think, Joe, I, I trusted him when I was a child and I've kind of turned away. You can come back. You can come back and step into the great, big, beautiful story of God. All you have to do is call on him. Say, God, I'm coming back. I'm coming home. And the Bible says that God, just like a loving gracious, forgiving Father will run to you. He'll embrace you. He'll welcome you back. He'll throw a party. That's what God does for those he loves. Let me pray with us, for us. Father, we come in Jesus' name. We come giving thanks for the beauty of your great story. We thank you, God, that though there exists this evil one, who has unleashed hell on earth, who has great fury, he will not have a great victory because the victory was won at Calvary. Jesus, we thank you for the victory that is sure and certain in you. Thank you that you fought for us and that you were still fighting for us. Lord, I pray right now, if there's anybody in the sound of my voice that has not trusted you, has not stepped into your big, beautiful story, God, that are still just being devoured out there. Lord, today, right now, they would change that, that they would do what you told us to do, Jesus, that we would realize that your kingdom is near, that we would repent and believe the good news that Jesus has come. You can do that right now. You can just pray and say, God, I repent. I turn from trying to run my own life. I give it to you. Save me, Jesus. And he promises he will. Most of us, I think, listening today will probably fall into another category, that one that just says, Lord, I need to come home. I need to come back. I need to get back in that great grand story. I need to be a part of the work that you're doing to bring your kingdom into the hearts and minds of everyone that, that Satan's seeking to destroy. So God, I recommit today, this, this last Lord's Day of this year, I recommit myself to pursue living in your big story, God. Thank you that you welcome me back. 
Jesus, we come thanking you now that you love us, that you have fought and are still fighting for us, and that you're coming back to get us one day soon. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we're ending our service a little differently today. Um, We're uh, not going to stop and and sing another song of praise or worship. I just want to wish you uh, a happy new year and that the blessings of God will be on you. God bless you, and I hope to see you in the not-too-distant future face-to-face, but we're going to stay with this plan of uh, virtual only for several more weeks. God bless you.